Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. If you were listening carefully to the Irish Times Second Captain's podcast last week, you'll have heard us discussing the somewhat condescending attitude that many rugby people have towards their pals in the football game. This was in the context of the insanely lax approach to discipline taken by the Six Nations this year. Well, Murph and Ken, there was an incident in the second half of Ireland's Scotland on Saturday. You mm. saw this one. Alex Dunbar was yellow carded for slamming Johnny Sexton to the ground. But not everyone was pleased with Sexton's role in this. Indeed, there was quite a bit of furious online reaction. Mm. And you might notice a certain theme emerging here. The Independent collated some of the barbs thrown by ex-internationals. Lewis Moody, come on, Sexton. We are not footballers. Tom May, maybe Dunbar shouldn't flip Sexton like that. But Sexton, please don't appeal and then hold your head after. Hashtag, not football kid. Andy Good, poor from Sexton. Appealing for it, then going down, holding his head like a footballer. <laughs> Rory Jackson, Sexton playing football? Question mark. Complains and then suddenly got a sore head. Uh, so I don't know what you actually think. Of it. I, I, I was quite struck by. Didn't the you fight. get need in the head? We well, didn't get need in the head. I no, got body. No, he got knee in the head beforehand. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, so yeah, beforehand in so, the in the tackle. Yeah. So he took a knee in the head, bravely carried on, then, then got uh, you know assaulted again. But <laughs> yeah, again. I, mean, I mean, again, Bear. as in like he gets yeah. assaulted every at least every second game. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 kind of an interesting attitude, you know, to say, well, it's not football. You know, you don't you don't see that in rugby. I'll tell you one thing: you don't see in football either is a guy. You know, uh, smashing another man bodily to the ground head first. That's something you don't see in football either. So, it, in a weird way, and I know it's 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 probably quite a difficult concept to get your head around, but they are two different sports. <laughs> you know, with yeah. different rules and different ways of behaving when you're playing those sports. I mean, it is it is tough. I know, but you're giving care, sex on a free pass, game? Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's not a free pass. He got kneed in the back of the head. Yeah, but the issue is that he sort of delayed, that he milked it after he went down. He's appealing to the referee. Well, so, so he has got so much courage that he was playing the game right, right up until the point when he knew play was stopped, at which point he curled into a ball and began to lick his wounds, you know? Yeah. Um, I didn't notice any of this, uh, any of this reaction when Mitrovic, the Newcastle player, was, was uh, carted off, knocked out cold. And then furiously uh, tried to fight his way back onto the pitch, um, you know, put, trying to push Rafael Benitez out of the way as he, as he, you know, groggily tried to rejoin the fray. I mean, I'm all right, Boss McLaren. Just let me back on. None of your, <laughs> none of your, um, uh, you know, protocols, head injury, respect, concussion, whatever, going on there. It was like that that Uruguay guy. Remember the the yes, Uruguay fullback per- in the Pereira, World Cup. Is that his name? Uh, was it Maxi Pereira? Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> you know, he didn't care. Uh, he he tried, you know, that you know, there's 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 elements in which the round ball game, <laughs> as you call it, you know, s- still has that old fashioned association football. U- up and at up and Adam wherever they are uh, <laughs> attitude that uh, rugby seems to have lost. Quite yeah, yeah same I thing. mean, it it didn't do Sexton a whole lot of good to to 
uncomplainingly take late shots to the head for the entire tournament. Completely, yeah, it was such point. a bad tackle, by the way. It's, it's, yeah. It was because of the angle, you know, with the classic spear tackle. Hmm. I don't want to mention Brian O'Driscoll, uh, Lions Tour, no, uh, cool, getting no, spear tackled. Cool. We you know, the, the, the classic of the genre, maybe. Yeah. That is so obviously dangerous and just aesthetically looks so bad because there's two guys picking a guy up and ha- putting him down pretty much vertically. Yeah. This was slightly different in that Dunbar never got sexed into a, any particular high height. It was all very much low around the rook. And it looked as though, uh, you know, maybe for some reason that blinkered the referees into thinking it didn't look as bad as it actually was. Like, I don't see how that's not a red card. It, it's one of those weird aspects of rugby that they decide to change what the serious incidents are every couple of years. It's, it's like they can't focus, because it's such a uh, violent game, they can't focus on all the rules at one time, mm. as, as a world governing body say. So they pick one, and at the moment it's the neck roll, which is everyone's getting yeah. done for these neck rolls. Last season it was competing for the ball in the air. And a few years back it was the tip tackle, around yeah. the time that Sam Warburton was sent off in the World Cup semi-final, for example. You know, I would have thought that's got to be, you've got to be talking about at least a yellow, probably a red card for that tackle. But it's something we're going to talk about anyway with uh, Shane and Matt Williams yeah. in a little while. You, meant, you mentioned Mitrovic there, had an incredible celebration of his goal oh, yeah. before that. He, he was, it was a strange reaction to being confronted by a fan on the pitch. <laughs> he jumped over him. He said he jumped over him, but then jumped back towards him and said, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll celebrate with this guy. I'm going crazy enough to celebrate with this guy. Yeah. Uh, what did you make of Leicester's the latest uh, instalment of their march to the Premier League title? It's going to be a procession for Leicester, Ken. Yeah, a stomping, jackbooted procession to the uh, Premier League title. It's pretty bizarre. Is it? What I, can I say? Yeah, what I saw on Sky Sports afterwards, they were having this debate that they've been kind of trying to spark up in the last while. That now that it looks like a two horse race, this is when it could really become pressure filled for Leicester. That it's more, for some reason, it's more stressful when you're only being chased by one team. I don't really see how, how that's the case, but that, and in fairness, it was put to Graeme Souness and he's in his Graeme Souness way, he kind of said, I don't know about that. What do you uh, think? I don't really agree with that either. Um, I, I think it, I think it does become scarier as the, as the prospect of messing it up becomes more, I mean, I think the, the one person you can really see that in is Claudio Ranieri. You know, he is like, he, he really, it seems to me to be, he he feels the pressure. In the way that he's celebrating goals more vociferously than he was previously in the season, that kind of thing? Well, I mean, I remember his uh, his behavior, not not in the last game, the Newcastle game, Leicester-Newcastle, when he was just he gone. riled up, yeah. Absolutely ballistic, you know, the last few minutes. And I mean, Claudio Ranieri has been around the block. He's he's lost a few league titles. Uh, you know, he's finished second with Chelsea. He's finished second with Roma. He's... Um, he's lost cup finals. He's had all kinds of disappointments. And he stands on the cusp of what would be his crowning glory, you know, uh, in you know his entire football career. This would be, you know, a, an achievement of staggering proportions. And knows just how easily, even, even now, even still, this could all kind of turn to dust. He's turning into Pep Guardiola in the sidelines. Yeah, well, he, he he is almost as, as kind of activist, as demonstrative uh, demonstrative as Pep. But, you know, I, I think he's just the guy who who knows best what the pitfalls of this situation are. You know, he's the one who's haunted by the by the fear of failure to a greater extent than His players who just seem, <laughs> just seem to be, well, yeah, I mean, why why shouldn't we be winning? I know they're league? not playing, yeah, exactly. And I know they're not playing particularly well in the last couple of games, but they... I think they do carry themselves a little bit like, as you say, a team who's convinced that they are going to win the Premier League. The, uh, the awestruck nature of the early part of the season and even maybe around Christmas and New Year when it started becoming realistic has given way, I think, to a, a bullish sort of attitude. Even when they score a goal, the celebrations seem to me, I'm probably reading too much of this, but more like, yeah, of course we've just scored a goal. You know, we've got that yeah. goal that we were expecting to get in this big game and we're top of the league. Yeah, I think that there is a, a level of self-assurance there that uh, <laughs> probably shouldn't be there, but that's fine. You know, I mean, they have managed to, I mean, that's very much within their own remit. I mean, you know, you give yourself self-assurance. It doesn't come from an external factor. Yeah, so, no, it's great. Yeah, yeah, so what they've decided is we belong there. I mean, there was... Crystal Palace aren't a bad team. They hit the bar very late on, but they were pretty comfortable for pretty much all of that game. Once the goal went in, Leicester's goal went in. Yeah, they're defending well now. They are tightening up a little bit, but they're tightening up in a defensive way. When you give yourself a chance and say, right, if you score one goal, you've got an excellent chance of winning this game, then 
you know, they, they probably will score in every game between now and the end of the Premier League season. We're mm. going to chat to Owen Kelly today about Cork in crisis. Murphy have lost every one of their league games so far, the Cork uh, Yeah, and well, I mean... Well, all of their regular season league Listen, games. they've had a great run of it on. Um, 130 years. <laughs> um, but I think now is the time. You know, they know themselves that the, you know, the dual player doesn't work. And in a similar vein, this whole idea of having a lot of dual clubs competing on two fronts... I mean, I think they know now the fallacy of it. So I think they should step away from the hurling or at least give it a break for like five, ten years. Right. They love their football down there. I think they might have given it a break for a couple of years in previous times, Murph, but let's not go there. <laughs> God, that was Talk a cork hurling there. strike gag. Yeah. Oh, Haven't heard one of those for a long time. Uh, but no, it's... Um, yeah, I, th- I think really that it's, it's time for them now to really just give the football a good rattle. Right. You know, see, see, how the, see how that goes for a couple of years. If they don't win All-Ireland in the next five or ten years in the football... Start their hurling team up again, and you know, see, maybe maybe just that that little break reinvigorate the sport down there. You know, for the final time this season, <laughs> let's talk Six Nations. Tipper, oh, Tipper oh, it's 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 and Wales are over the line again. Seventy two minutes gone as Murrayfield, Sean O'Brien, smashing his way through. It could still be on for England. And England and Ireland are possibly watching this in despair. Pocock says enough. Is enough. The title is going to Ireland. Simon, after the last year's Six Nations, I remember everybody was immediately talking about the World Cup. In fact, they were doing so even during the competition. But this time, it's a funny one. The focus is again uh, looking forward, really. It seems to be on our insane fixers list. Every second conversation that's had now and has been had maybe towards the end of the competition uh, centred around the fact that (laughs) we've got a bit of a sticky few games coming up for the rest of this year. Yeah, South Africa three times in June, where we've never won. New Zealand twice in November, who we've never beaten. Australia once, who are now probably the second best team in the world. We play Australia in November as well, and Canada, which we'd expect to win. But in terms of a match of significance or a win of significance, uh, one we get any satisfaction from, I think realistically Australia is the only one of those that you think we'd have a a really good chance in. Well, South Africa, we have done well against at home over the years. Just we've not, ne- we've not away. never beaten South Africa in South Africa. Yeah. Well, they they have that factor at home that, you know, the Celtic nations think they own this thing. They monopolize this idea of passion. South Africa at home are a nightmare. And they do have this high belt thing where people struggle with the conditions. Um, it's a really inhospitable place. All those elements come in. And we haven't gone there very often. It doesn't... We're not used to going there. And there's an aura about them at home, which is what you're talking about there. It's something that New Zealand have wherever they play. South Africa, for whatever reason, can't bring that away. Maybe because so much of it's replicated is predicated on physicality that you know that can sometimes break down if you're not 100% into it. But at home, they have that. and It doesn't just mean they play better. I think, certainly with Irish teams in the past, crushes them a it little. crushes them before even going there. I mean, like fans don't... Well, they might enjoy the actual trip, <laughs> but they're going to dread the, the the games. And you'd imagine players, as much as they'll build themselves up for it, will know that we've never beaten them. Away. Yeah, and a lot of the cities that you tour there are joyless places, inhospitable places. And I think because the teams were facing, that's why things like the Heaslip offload to Devon Toner at the weekend felt so important, or say the Zebo offload that led to the Heaslip try. Those are moments of skill that work against any team as opposed to, say, a mistake in the Italian defence when the winger and the full-back boat jump for a ball and it bounces into yeah. our hands. You know, the, those tries that just aren't going to occur against the best teams. And I think for that reason, I think we should have been watching this Six Nations wondering what were the moments that would impact the top three nations of the world and kind of discard the rest of it. All right, on that positive note, uh, we're going to bring in Shane Horgan and Matt Williams now, lads. Uh, I guess we'll start with an easy one. Marks out of 10 for Ireland's Six Nations campaign, Shane. Um, I'd say probably about a six, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe five, possibly. Um, these things are always hard to uh, to uh, quantify, but I think um, it could have been a lot worse if we hadn't have won the last two games. Certainly, the game against Scotland, although I think Scotland certainly did us, um, you know, a few favors. It, it wasn't a tournament where I felt we massively progressed in any way. Uh, I think there was circumstances around that, um, but I do think probably if you were going to look for positives out of it. It looks like some players have come through that think they could play at international level. I think some flaws have come have come up certainly in in the in uh, Ireland's gameplay. Um, and I have I've been interested in in Rory Best actually. I think he's been very 
um, honest as a captain, and I think he is. You know, he's he's identified a few of the problems that Ireland have faced, and at least you know Ireland know that they have those problems to rectify. But uh, yeah, probably. You know, probably uh, five, well, I, I, um, realistically. Five or six. I'll get to, to Matt in a second. But just on Rory Best there, it's interesting to say that because, uh, not that you were denigrating his chances of getting it, but you felt that Sean O'Brien would have been a good a good shout for the captaincy when we were talking about it late last year. But uh, but Best has impressed you. He, he impressed me with his play, certainly. Um, he's always he's always pretty much on the money, slows down a lot of ball. Um, I think he, he, he... I don't know if... if um, Joe Smith would be as necessarily as happy with his honesty as as we would listening to it because uh, he does tend to give quite a bit, an insight into what's going on with the players and it, it, it's perfectly honest and it's uh, it's on the money. Matt, we know your thoughts on the lack of ingenuity. What about marks out of ten? First up, are you veering closer to zero than ten? <laughs> it's a tough one. I agree with Shag. It's hard to, to come up with an exact number. Look, I, I, I'd, I'd be with Shag there. I'd, I'd probably go more towards a four. Um, I, I'm, I must say, I was a little bit more hopeful the last two weeks, but uh, it, it's it's been a, a, a dour tournament right across the board. And you know it's a Dow tournament when the highlights England's play. That's when that's that's when you really know it's been a, it's been a poor tournament when England are the attacking stars. Um, I agree with with uh, Shane that the, the the real positive for Ireland is is the emergence of a few players that you know uh, standard for me has uh, has been very very good. I, I thought he played well for Munster and I thought he really stepped forward there. One thing I I, I think is is an eight out of ten is the effort from the Irish players. I, I haven't and never have been uh, able to question the effort that comes from the players. So I think we have to Do we need to even mention effort, areas. though, Matt, Matt? I mean, effort's a given. I, all the players involved in this championship from every nation would, I presume, give their effort. Do we, do we have to give points for that? Uh, I think, well, I, I do in that, that I, I thought at certain, at certain points at the end of... Um, uh, let's say Declan's uh, reign when and Declan was a fabulous coach. Grand Slam, what he's done for Irish rugby is is immense. But I thought the players were poor at the effort end of that reign. I thought the Italians were were nothing short of disgraceful. Um, Fifty points was what they deserved. I thought they they didn't try, and the results of the tournament shows that they've have stopped trying while wearing their national colours, which I think is absolutely appalling. But um, I, I don't believe our our structures. Um, are anywhere near world class, and I think we may have to look across at England and the very limited stru- attacking structure that Eddie's brought, um, Eddie Jones has brought to, to the English. We're, we're a million miles behind, and even when you consider the tries on the weekend, the four tries, uh, you know, Keith Earl's try from a bounce, a bounce, a lucky bounce, because the Scots had that cover and it came off them. Uh, Murray's was a, was a dive over from a metre away, as was. Uh, as was uh, Standers, and and the only one that that really came up was a beautiful offload uh, from Jamie Heaslip there when Dev Toner went over. But it was it was pretty poor fare right across the board. Very interesting when you get onto the uh, Six Nations website and you click on their highlights. Uh, about the first four minutes of people kicking at goals. <laughs> There's no highlights at all. Uh, the 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 uh, you know 22 errors, uh, 22 penalties in a game and 36 errors from Ireland and 40 errors from Scotland added to the 22 penalties. I mean, it's a staggering number of stoppages and, and errors. And it, it was a, it was poor, even though the numbers were good and the tension was there, as it has been in a number of games, including the Welsh game, the standard has been exceptionally poor. And there's no, there's no way to move around that. Um, if, if we consider the next three games... Are in South Africa and some of them up on the high veld, and Shag will tell you, you know, the high veld, apart from Eden Park, in in New Zealand, is the hardest place in the world to go to take on an opposition. It it is seriously a uh, confronting and difficult area, being so many metres above sea level, just with the oxygen and and a whole lot of other factors. But the heart of Afrikaandom, and you're taking on the Springbok, this is going to be a lot harder than that. And the quality of play that we've seen from Ireland. It can't just improve by a few percentages. It has to jump dramatically. Shane, looking at Ireland specifically, it feels like in a very short space of time, 
we've gone from, say, being number two in the world, uh, two Six Nations Championships in a row, and looking at the very highest level, attaining or looking ambitiously at maybe even taking on New Zealand, looking at things like a World Cup final. And since that Argentina game, suddenly it's we're looking behind us now. Are Scotland going to catch up with us? Have France passed us out? Are England now miles ahead? It seems as if the whole perspective has changed within four or five months. Yeah, well, what you have to do is take a little bit of a broader view because if you take any snapshot of time, um, depending on the results, it can look like you're heading to the top of the mountain or it can look as if you're finished. Uh, so if you look a little bit broader, as you said, uh, go back six months before that and two Six Nations championships and very positively going into a World Cup and actually right the way into that World Cup possibly until we went, uh, we lost all those numbers against France, uh, things were going pretty swimmingly. Um, so factor in the loss of the players that retired, the loss of the players that we had in the Six Nations, but also as well, I think, um, a little bit of a slip back from the type of, of play that um, we have been capable of in the past and uh, a little bit of, you know, we've spoken about it a number of times about there is some conservatism going on in certain areas of the park. I, I'm still, I still think Ireland have the capacity to play a much, um, uh, a much more developed game. And my, I've seen them outside the, outside the opposition 22. I think there's a lot of positive things going on. I think they are still trying uh, a lot. I think they could probably move the runners a little bit wider. I think they could ask more the moment our forward runners, even out the field, are very much set on um, on smashing the ball up. Um, and Matt pointed out the try for Jamie Heaslip. That was because Jamie Heaslip took the ball at pace in the 22, which we haven't seen very often. He ran in between two players, which we haven't seen from our forwards very often. And then he looked to get his hands free and an offload and had Devon Toner not on the, the clear-out line, but actually on the trail line. What about the defensive side of things, lads? Because I know we have focused quite a lot <clears throat> on the attacking play this season, but Ireland have conceded nine tries. That's as many as, uh, as many as France, Scotland and Italy have obviously conceded more, but England and Wales comfortably less than that. Uh, this is um, a pretty big challenge, I would have thought, facing Andy Farrell coming into this setup, Matt. And as you said, the teams that were playing for the rest of this year, it would worry me slightly that we seem to be, seem to be pretty leaky uh, in defence. Well, look, I'd agree with that, and I'm quite surprised. Um, you know, if you look at England, England scored 13 tries and let in four. And I think Vern Cotter has a less talented side, but he's thinking. The thinking you're seeing in that Scottish side is much uh, more advanced than we're seeing in the Irish side. Is, is it really? Is it really that advanced though, Matt? Just because they, you know, throw the ball around a bit and score some fancy tries? I know you've put more thought into it than that. I don't mean to be so glib about it, but I mean they still lose most of their uh, most of their crunch games. Yeah, mate, look, Scotland. I coach Scotland, and the lack of talent in Scotland. In comparison, well, you just got two teams. Let's put it that way. You got two teams, and I only got four. Uh, so you got double the talent at your at your disposal. I know there's a lot more Scots playing in in the UK and so on, but that we come back to what's happening on the field. You can see structures and and choices uh, by the Scots in a lot clearer way um, in what their thinking is. They're trying to do things. They don't quite have all the talent to do it, but they, their thinking is very good. Whereas I'm looking at Ireland and all the points that Shane just said, well, let's just keep the ball real tight now, 22 with one pass, one pass. It don't work. And it's not going to work as long as your bum points to the ground. And that thinking is out of date. And I think we just got to front that up and say it. And, that, and look, again, guys, I would say to you, I am just shocked at the Irish media not being honest about this. I am, I'm truly shocked at people not even saying it a little bit. It's, it's like we've got Catholicism and no one's saying anything against the Pope. Our thinking is behind. We're behind the world, and we're behind now a number of teams in the Six Nations. And there's no point saying there's green shoots. We have to change, and the change now has to be radical. Matt, and, and if we yeah. don't, we're going to get pounded. Shane, I should say, what do you think? The media is being dishonest? Over here, um, I didn't say on. dishonest, guys. So, I didn't sorry, say I should dishonest. say sorry. Uh, that, that's not telling a lie. No, I'm not. I didn't say they're telling a lie. I just don't think they've been straight up and looking at this. There's just too much sentimentality about right. it. I don't think people are lying, but I think there's way too much sentimentality about this. Shane, um, I just think I, I suppose it's the way it's being framed. I think there's increasingly. I haven't watched. I haven't read every article or watched every. Um, 
um, feature on rugby, but um, I think it's maybe being framed slightly differently the way Matt is framing it. I think a really interesting point that Matt made, uh, which is in this con- this idea of conservative uh, nature of of the attacking play. I think you can't underestimate, or sorry, you can't overestimate um, the issue with Brian O'Driscoll going because. Brian was the balance between the forwards and the backs, and he demanded so much ball. And we were playing with Brian, and when you had backs there that were maybe um, more demanding on the forwards, the relationship between backs and forwards was quite different. Now, unless you've got very thoughtful or evolved forwards, they will want to do what the play the sort of rugby that, that they're comfortable at. At. And that's pretty much around the rook, and it's not too many passes, not too challenging. Whereas, and that means the ball doesn't go out too too wide. Now, there's no one in that 13 position, or actually on the wings or fullback, that are so demanding that they'll go. They are screaming for the ball. You never see the uh, Irish wingers or 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 outside actually Johnny Sexton screaming for the ball and demanding it, and therefore it doesn't get out there as often. And when you had Brian or you had big names, your big big uh, um, personalities in those outside channels, the ball would get out there. And because everything now runs through Johnny Sexton, Johnny Sexton is such an incredible focal point for Ireland. Everything runs through him. So when you see when he's uh, tackled or he's not in the game, then there's no way someone else is coming in second, uh, first receiver and moving the ball out to a wider challenge. It's just that, uh, a wider channel. That's an off the table. And until Ireland rectifies that, until they either get a second receiver in that's very comfortable and is very comfortable in the first receiver slot, or they get somebody into the 13 or winger channels who's screaming and demanding more ball, I think you're going to continue to see this focus on um, uh, forward play and tight play around the rooks. And that's not good for Ireland. It's good for Ireland against teams that they can bully. And they bullied Scotland and they bullied Italy. But... I don't think it's ever been a really good policy for Irish teams to try and just out-muscle opposition. I always think we've been much more thoughtful than them, and we've broken them down, we've deconstructed uh, them, and that's when we've had our most success. And I can guarantee you, if we go to South Africa and we try to out-bully them, and we don't try and deconstruct them, um, then we can forget about it because they won't be bullied. I'm not saying we won't re- achieve par with them physically. That's the minimum we should say. But the idea of going, as, as Matt said, going up to the high belt and bullying South Africa and bullying them one-out runners, they will actually eat that up and we will, we will find the things very difficult. Shane, are you saying Ireland are essentially too obsessed with the rook in defence and attack? I mean, you, on TV at the weekend, you were mentioning how Keith Earls tried to get involved in a rook um, that resulted in the Richie Gay- Gray try. Um, you know, that we're trying to dive in too much, influence every single rook. Whereas often you see the likes of Wales, for example, they just find out they, they don't contest it. And the same in attack then, that every player is sort of coming in and every single rook trying to clear it out, have it as perfect as possible. And then we just don't have enough numbers in the back line when the ball does go out. Uh, two things. Sometimes we're overcommitting a rook. I think our offensive rook is really, really good. I think we're cleaning beyond the ball. It's making things easier. But the problem is we're, we're cleaning beyond the ball. The ball is being placed perfectly there. And then the next thing that happens is a pick and go. Instead of actually getting the ball to the 10's hands, and we've got forward momentum, and we should be going to 10 as fast as possible. Like, it's no point in having this brilliant rook ball in attack if we then don't use it in a positive fashion. So, But I, I think the actual technique of cleaning out the rook has been very good, and it's a, it's a very positive thing for Ireland. Defensively, this, again, there's two issues. Keith Earls went into a, into a rook where there was three tacklers in that rook already. Like There was absolutely no way for him to um, affect that rook in any positive way. Um, but what you're seeing is because I think Joe is so hot on trying to disrupt the opposition rook, there again, there's a little bit of a, a mindset with players, oh, I have to be in this, I have to be seen to be counter-rooking here and doing something. If the rook is dead, just leave it. Um, and then the other issue is that they're too tight, a rook. Not just they've got too many in it, uh, they're too tight. So your spacing is you've got a pillar each side of the rook, then you've got a, a, another defender, and then your third defender is opposite 10. Now, if you look at the video and you see how often that we have four players where there should be three, and that very often five players where we have three, 
and there's, we have to be missing numbers out somewhere else, especially if we have numbers in the ruck. So that means outside, outside the 15 on the open side, you'll see a massive space. And then you've got full wingers and fullback trying to cover these huge spaces, which become very panicky. You have to make bad reads. And that's what happened at the weekend. All right, just uh, one other aspect from yesterday's game I wanted to mention from this weekend's game, and that was, well, it was a pretty narky affair uh, towards the end, but Sex, Johnny Sexton was accused of hamming up the contact by, uh, well, the quite clear foul committed by Alex Dunbar. Matt, a lot of this came down to poor old football gets a shooing again from rugby players. Tom May says, um, please don't appeal and then hold your head. It's not football. Come on, Sexton, we're not footballers, says Lewis Moody. A lot of the rugby players essentially were on Twitter saying roughly the same thing people weren't and I think the Scots weren't too happy with Sexton by the looks of it do you think he did ham it up a little bit um you know I, I thought it was a very dangerous clear out slash tackle back slam we, we I don't really know it doesn't come in anywhere but he certainly lifted and threw and I um I, I thought it was it was pretty dangerous uh I, I don't know that Johnny hammed it up that much I think he was very annoyed, as I think as anyone would be. Um, you know, the, I, I, I think it's very easy sitting there to do it. And, you know, Johnny was is a very proud guy, and, and a lot of what Shane says about not having the people outside him, the, 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 the big personalities, he is the big personality there. And um, he's very passionate and, and very demanding. And I, I didn't think it was hammed up. I thought... Um, I thought there was a bit going on, and he, but he reacted, and sometimes you just can't react. You know, sometimes in in rugby you just got to cop it. The referee's seen it. Let's get on with it. Yeah, there was a bunch of players on Twitter equating it to, I suppose, a dive in football. A lot of them as oh, we're, this isn't football. This isn't football, Johnny. What are you doing? But I mean, they're equating to those situations in the box where a player takes a dive and there's been no contact. This man just got flipped like a wrestling move, and. Even if he did ham it up, given the season he's had, given the way all the decisions have gone for the refs and, and foul play in the Six Nations, you couldn't blame a guy for a millisecond going, let's just make sure I get the pen out and then let's deal with whatever injury I may have incurred. Although I am looking at it again and I, I actually think he does appeal after getting flipped down and then after the appeal, he does uh, he does start holding his head. So, in, in just in that sequence of events, Shane, it does seem like he the sort of appeal comes after being smacked down and before feet, feet in the head. You know. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know how long he should be given to put his hand on his head after he uh, pain kicks in. Do you know what I mean? It's a fraction of a second here. And as you said, you make a good point. This guy's getting kicked from pillar to post. He's getting treatment from every player on the pitch. There, there. He's got a, um, a crosshairs on his on his back at all times. He's not being protected by referees during this tournament already. So if he does a fractionally, you know, try and draw the referee's attention to it, I, I, I Johnny Sexton, of, as of all people, has probably the right to do that. That's great chat as always, and thanks for everything during the Six Nations, Shane and Matty. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Oh, there's blackjack and poker and the roulette wheel. A fortune won and lost on every deal. All you need is strong heart and a new steel. Beaver Lost Thanks a lot, Pepe. Beaver Lost Go ahead, Pepe. You're the last one. Yes, sir. And their new World Federate of the Championship. Probably a little bit unfair of us to just scoot over England's Grand Slam triumph because not that many teams win Grand Slams anymore. Uh, it doesn't seem like Maddie was overly impressed with it. Well, sorry, I shouldn't say that. But he did make the point that if we're praising England yeah. for the running rugby that they're playing, that's bad. That's a bad sign of how the Six Nations has gone generally. Yeah, but the fact is their backline is really, really good. I think they might have near enough the best back three in the world, potentially, if those guys click on their day. They've got an average age of 24, I mean, they're a really young squad. They have a great bench. Shane and Eddie were talking on RT about the trajectory. I mean, if you take it from the World Cup, it's a phenomenal improvement. Um, they ultimately outplayed Wales, uh, France and Ireland. I know they didn't do it on the scoreboard necessarily and all those teams came back at them. But in terms of just a general play and the phases, I thought England were spanking us more or less. And now that they have that Grand Slam, you'd expect them to be able to push on a little bit. I, I think Maddie's maybe thinking because they failed so badly in the World Cup that they're a terrible team but they came fourth 
uh, or second rather four times in a row in the Six Nations before this. They've been really consistent. They have this extra edge in Eddie Jones now. They have Mario Otoji uh, in the second row. Um, they have Steve Borthwick, the best line-out coach and Ford's coach in the world probably. They have a load of factors going in their favour. I, I wouldn't be surprised well. to see them beat certainly Australia, South Africa over the next while, maybe not New Zealand. Eddie Jones has asked where did this post-World Cup uh, essentially where did this success rank among his personal, personal clutch of coaching achievements what did he ask what did he answer <laughs> nowhere because it's going to get better with England yeah I mean even before the Six Nations <laughs> started he, he was talking big you know he's saying in the next two or three years we'll have a side to beat the All Blacks um, he's also talking about the average age and how I think an average age of a rugby team is 28 normally at 24 to have a Grand Slam under your belt you know huge potential I think are they are English people now not just absolutely kicking themselves for not hiring this guy? I mean, you know, say they go to Japan and play really, really well at the World Cup. I mean, they've thrown away the World Cup in their own backyard. I mean, it seems like... Well, look at, look at Ireland's last four coaches that they've had. Warren Gatland, Eddie O'Sullivan, Declan Kidney and Joe Schmidt. Not all absolute successes, but all done pretty good. All had highlights, all moved the team on in some way or yep. other. And you look at what England have done... Uh, since I mean, the like World they Cup. hired a guy as an interim coach and then just gave him the job full time. You know, they had a look around and said, right, no, we're probably not going to be able to find anyone better and ended up giving him the, the job for a home World Cup. He was doing well, though. You know, I don't know there's a certain amount yeah. of revisionism there. It did, like, he did seem to be doing a lot of things right. Yeah. I think he just lost his nerve when he got there. Yeah. Uh, it seemed that uh, that was part of the issue. It's yeah, utterly it pointless question by me to ask <laughs> in, 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 in a lot of ways, but it does just strike you that, God, the. the this guy's patently so much better than the guy they had before. You know that's what podcasting's all about, Murph. Asking utterly pointless questions. Ah, well, happy I played my part. It's, it's a distraction for people, you know. <laughs> Super serious stuff going on. Anyway, the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast will follow hot in the heels of this show. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. Was the World Cup? I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Well, then we're going to talk a little bit about the title race, which of course means Leicester and Tottenham, and uh, how that's uh, all getting on. We're also going to talk a little bit about a game which didn't have much bearing on that, but was nevertheless an interesting game uh, between Manchester City and Manchester United uh, at. Eastlands yesterday. Sounds good. Three years ago, the Cork... Was it three years ago? Yeah, three years ago, the Cork hurlers were only denied and all I should do the maths before I started to, uh, talking on air, probably. It wasn't exactly like it was 1947 you were talking I'll about. I'll start that again. I'm sure Simon's edited the last few seconds yeah, out, sure so people are just hearing this nice He's got your back on. Three years ago, the Cork hurlers were only denied in All-Ireland by a late Clare equaliser and an insane Shane O'Donnell hat-trick in the replay. They followed that up, Cork this is, with a Munster title the following year, but I think it's fair to say the Jimmy Barry Murphy regime and ebbed away after that, and his former selector, Kieran Kingston, has taken over as manager this season, but they've lost all five of their league games, the latest one to tip yesterday, where they shipped another big score. Owen oh, Kelly, I guess only the Kilkenny match uh, a couple of weeks back will be in any way satisfactory for them. They lost late on there, but it was an incredible performance with a lot of great scores. Do you think this season, what's going on now, would qualify as a crisis? It probably would, yeah. They played five games, lost five games. Uh, it looks like they had a the hangover of the Kenny defeat was there in their play yesterday against Tipperary as well. You know, they were beaten very well for finished by twelve points. Like uh the Kilkenny game, their performance was ten times better than what we've seen in the league and they were competitive to the final whistle. Yesterday that game was over, you could say five minutes after half time and that's the worrying thing for Cork. They're just fading out of these games. Right, they put the odd goal or uh, and a couple of points on the board. Um, you know, flashes flash of brilliance, but it's not enough to be competitive, and it's really a disappointing league for them. Um, you know, they've conceded the most of any team. Obviously, the bottom of the table, nine goals and 118 points, like that, totals up 145 scores. Like so, they'll have to look at their, their defence for the relegation battle against Galway because they're just leaking goals and scores. Like, and you know. That's, you're not going to be competitive and competing in games if you're leaking that much, you know. But uh, you know they still have firepower up front. Like, and it's actually when you look at the league table, you know, they scored eight, eighty-nine. I think it's probably the second highest scores in the in the league in the five games. So you know they still have Seamus Hardney was missing yesterday. Conor Lehan, Pat Horgan, these guys score freely, but uh, it's at the back their trouble is. But you know, look, 
there's a crisis there at the minute, definitely in Cork, and um, you know they'll be very disappointed if, if they lose the, the relegation final, which it looks like they, they probably will. Yeah, it's a funny one because it's a question that we uh, pose a lot during the league, or a, a point that's made regularly about the how much is actually put into it and what exactly different teams are looking for from it. Now, whatever about any sort of tactical tweaks that Kieran Kingston is trying to make or any change in mindset, losing every single game and losing a lot of them, as you say, shipping a lot of scores surely undermines any confidence in in what's going on there at the moment. So even if there are, if there is a grand plan there for the championship, it might be hard to execute that if you, if you haven't got that winning mentality. Yeah, well, the, the winning mentality is definitely not there, but I think the, they'll get ready for the championship now. And the Galway game, they'll really set out their stall. They should have their first, you know, near enough to their first 15 there. Um, the way they're going to set up for that, you know, I think they need to go back to basics, a bit like they did the night against Kilkenny, where they just had a cut at Kilkenny, played their Orthodox 15, and really tore into Kilkenny. Um, you know, yes, they, they seem to be playing the diamond again. Pat Horgan was inside, and he's the one that had about four out and a half forward line. And for me, this Cork team, having even seen them at a couple of the games live, they don't seem to be able to play a defensive system. And that's something I think they need to go back to basics and just really orthodox 15 side, just having a cut at it. And I think they'll be more competitive in games, like, and they might have a better chance of, of maybe you know sneaking the odd result here and there. But the way they're playing at the minute is um, they don't they seem, they seem to be a confused team. I think that's the word, you know. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think this. Uh, in past league campaigns, you could write it. You, there have been teams where you can just kind of write it off and say, "Listen, we'll we'll be all right come the championship." But given how close, given how few games there are in the league, how close the league is, if you look at the results and you look at the quality of the games that have been played over the last month or so, there's not really a whole lot of experimentation going on. You know, it's not it's not that you can say Cork have been saying, "Right, listen, we're trying to find a few lads. It's no big deal." Like no team is really doing that now. It's it's been taken a lot more seriously now than it was back when it was an eight team division one or whatever. Uh, and as a result, you you can't really just write it off as league form. You you have to say that this this is a problem for Cork. No, it definitely is. Like a lot of teams will say, have used the league will say as a building block for the championship. And as you said, it's so competitive. Your first second league game is crucial because. If you don't get results on the board, the word relegation is knocked about. You know, you even look at Watford. I think Watford psychologically targeted Tipperary and Kilkenny to get a victory over both of them, and Derek McGrath got that. And even in getting get, getting those two victories, we'll say, you know, they qualified for the quarterfinal. So he wouldn't have been too worried about the defeat last week to Dublin. You know, they bounced back this week with a couple of new players being thrown in there, you know, Conor Bleach and Shane Roach and Colin Roach, and they drew with Galway yesterday. But, you know, from Cork's point of view, I suppose, they didn't blood new talent in the league. Um, and with yeah, it's all the same the, names on. That, that's kind yeah, of the, 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 the worrying that's thing. That's the worrying thing, definitely. Yeah. You know, I suppose the best the underage prospect is actually Kieran's own son, Shane, who done his crucial ligament last year. He's leaving third year, but he was a minor last year. He's probably the best underage prospect. But I suppose the players that are there, Aidan Walsh now has been injured the last two, two or three games. But, you know, they've been probably leaderless in, in the league. Um, now, the night against Kilkenny, a couple of their guys that usually step up, um, Christopher Joyce and Seamus Hardney, they perform to the best really. But it seems to me when Seamus Hardney is not there, they do not click as a, as a team in any capacity. You know, he's the ball winner. He's their go-to man. <clears throat> he's their score-getter. And he was missing yesterday and he was a big loss to, uh, to Cork yesterday against Tipperary. Uh, from the tip side of things, I mean, it's, it's obviously Cork tip in the first round of the championship. Owen, I'm sure there's a fair bit of confidence there at the moment. Uh, you're talking about young players there. I mean, tip have uh, blooded quite a few players. Michael Breen, John McGrath, Noel's brother, a full forward. Uh, w- one or two other guys. Are you feeling pretty good about things? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think the mood is very good in tip. Um, right, they didn't win a couple of league games, but they were very competitive to the to the death. Like, and they were fighting to to nail. And you know that strength and condition that they have done the last couple of seasons. I can see that in their play. They're they're very physical in the tackle. And you see Michael Breen. He's probably been moulded into a Michael Fenley type midfielder that can you know come up and down the field. And he scored one four yesterday from play. He hit three points last week and against Galway, two points the day before. So you know he's. Uh, he has made partnership there with Brendan Maher Middlefield and that's something Tip needed to get out of the league because both James Woodlock and Shane McGrath are retired so they need to find a midfield partnership I think they've done that and then moving into the forward line John McGrath seems to be having serious form um, he was injured last year for the championship played early in the league and then he had a back injury which ruled him out but he seems to be a player that um, he's like Noel very skillful great brain you see him giving a 
pass yesterday to Niall O'Mara for the goal where what I'd call like a Kenny pass, he, he gave the pass with his, his other, his right hand, his, his hurling catch hand and uh, it opened up the whole thing but um, good team player as well. So I think people will be very ha- happy and when Seamus Cannon came on yesterday, no one looking for one or two shot, shots for goal but got his two, two or three points, got two points and he looks to be hungry I think is the word for it. So I think Tipper are, are in a good place and they seem to have a, a very strong 20 Um got out of the league so I think they, they definitely have learned something and they've mouth-watering, mouth-watering game with Clare Nicks, like which is it's going to be a real ding-dong battle so yeah, you could see Tip uh, put nearly their best 15 or definitely 13 or 14 of their best 15 out against Clare the next day Is that a Kilkenny special that kind of pass you described there? Definitely yeah. uh, you've seen Richie Hogan and these guys it opens up a complete defence um, not too many players have it in their in their armour the TJ Reid the Richie Hogan's Henry DJ Sheffield. Carey beforehand. Uh, DJ you, Carey DJ would have been man. a big I, one. Yeah, yeah. I think you know the pass I'm on about. Yeah, it yeah. <laughs> opens up the whole forward line, and if you look at John McGrath yesterday, uh, rounded his man and hand pass with the other hand, the opposite hand, going to call it, and you know, I mean, it's a, it's a one-on-one. Then, so it's a, it's a great bit of skill to have, and. I think most of the inter-county management should be uh, should be practicing that one with their with, with their forwards especially. Yeah, I'd say you can look pretty stupid if you get it wrong, as as with most pieces of delicate skill, Owen. But listen, great to talk to you as always. Exactly, thanks. Yeah. yeah, thanks a million. Thanks, lads. Meanwhile, Murph, the dream team of Davy and Donal Og has worked its magic so far for Clare. Yeah, a lot of people, um, well, wouldn't have seen Clare because all of the kind of TV coverage focuses for the most part on Division One A, but down Division One B, Clare have been moving serenely. Uh, we're live on television yesterday for the game against Limerick. And it's a reality. There they are, standing on the sideline, conversing, uh, waving their arms wildly, gesticulating. It's, it's, really, it's really happening. Uh, and uh, I think, as well, the fact that Clare have been down in 1B and winning a lot of games, it's kind of a, it's a nice little mix uh, change-up for Clare because the last couple of years, they've lost a lot of games in the league. A lot of games. And they've kind of seemed to brought that into the championship this uh, sort of a lack of conviction in their play that you know an, an increasing desperation to win a game however they however the hell they go about winning it just to win a game uh, I think that they, they're playing with a lot more conviction this year and watching them yesterday it's, god these guys have brilliant hurlers like yeah. they're a brilliant brilliant team and that's without Tony Kelly or Podge Collins uh, starting yesterday uh, they've loads of options uh, and you know, they, they, it, it seems like this year could be a year where right, we'll actually get the match the matchup between Clare and Kilkenny that I think a lot of people in the aftermath of Clare's win in 2013, we've all been kind of hoping for. We might actually get a game in August or September between the two of them, which uh, which would be something to look forward to. I do hope Don Logue doesn't gesticulate too much, as in as much as David Fitzgerald, because then it's Clare will essentially be contending with two Pep Guardiolas on the sideline, mm. and no <laughs> no sports team, professional or amateur, can no. deal with two Pep Guardiolas. No, d- no, d- 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 both of them do stand very close to the sideline, though. I mean, that's a little weird, isn't it? It's if you're a young, if you're if you think too much about it, you're a young player getting into a team and you're just staring at Donald yeah. and David. Conor McGrath actually hit, I think it was his fourth point from play yesterday, and it was really funny. He was caught on the the TV screen. He he had. Uh, uh, blocked down the ball or he'd harried effectively robbed a, a Limerick player of possession and hit it over the bar and he kind of looks for like a half second over to the sideline and then just like runs in the opposite direction I was just imagine yeah he probably doesn't need to be listening to those two lunatics now. I mean saying good things to him I mean, you know, congratulating him on his work rate. <laughs> but if I was him, I would actually just swap, swap with the other corner forward until they'd calm down. We don't normally do birthday shout-outs, guys, but would you, I'd have you like to send your best wishes to the guys at Twitter on this, their 10th birthday. It's 10th birthday. Oh, yeah. A lot of, a lot of people woke up this morning. I deleted to... the shit out of that notification from Twitter <laughs> when, I, when I first logged on. Well, it's, it's never great when somebody asks you to wish them a happy birthday, I suppose. But listen, yeah. it's, it's fine. I didn't get that notification. Did you not? Yeah, no, Twitter, 10th birthday, yay. Uh, well, I mean, what about, that, uh, what about those earnings reports? Mm. You know? Yeah, not good. They're um, going to be keeping the, the Twitter, Twitter heads up at night. Yeah, I mean, it just—it seems to have flatlined or plateaued a little bit, doesn't it? Twitter. Yeah. One thing I, I have noticed about Twitter recently is that a lot of people do look at it as, and I may, maybe I'm counting some of our listeners here, but they do look at it as a football website. Yeah. You know, in the same way that you know they'd log on to Football Three Six Five. Yeah. Uh, that say say if you're you're followed by someone and it's 
the name of the person, but their avatar or their profile picture or whatever is, you know, the Manchester United crest. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and then it's the underneath their description is Manchester United. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's it. And all of their tweets are only about football all the time. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I just kind of find that interesting. Well, that is that somebody using Twitter as a football website, or somebody whose identity is defined by football too and an LT degree? That's the question I'm asking. Yeah. You know, I, I, I hope for one of those answers, but I fear that it's the other. Well, it could be that. I mean, uh, people limit the type of stuff that they put uh, that they want to put on social media. I mean, a lot of people seem to have the attitude that. Facebook is like a kind of a personal, private thing, mm. whereas Twitter is like kind of a more public, less personal thing. You know what I mean? Um, Data encryption would suggest otherwise, but <laughs> nevertheless. I mean, Facebook is every bit as public as, as Twitter. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. But nevertheless, people seem to think about it, think about it differently. At least I've spoken to a lot of people who have that, who have that kind of outlook. And maybe you just you know you're kind of a a normal person in most ways it's just every so often you see something in a football match which really annoys you <laughs> yeah. or you know a tweet from a football journalist which just strikes you as particularly oh, ignorant yeah. <laughs> particularly ignorant snide uh, brainless and all that yeah. kind of thing and you just need to let off a bit of steam that could also be it i mean i i i limit i suppose what i put on to i mean it's not like i'm giving you daily updates on What's happening in my yeah? Brain. Actually, I meant to talk to you about that. Yeah, I'd I'd I just I'd like to see the random individual that I that I know from my work and personal life on Twitter, Ken. I think that you should don't hide your light under a bushel. You're a great person, you know. Don't don't just limit your tweets to you know you know uh, pithy remarks about Pep Guardiola. Yeah, you yeah, know you have yeah. so much more to offer. You know. Yeah. I don't know about that let, actually. Let your little light think, shine, Ken. I think it's sometimes wise not to let the you know, Venn diagram of private and public intersect <laughs> too much. You don't want a total eclipse situation going on. Yeah, There's true, a maybe. number of things that could go wrong with that. There's a GA documentary, Murphy, wanted to point us in the direction of before we wrap things up. Yes, indeed, Owen. It's uh, BBC One Northern Ireland uh, tonight at nine o'clock. It's the True North documentary uh, Strand. And it's two years in the life of Cross McGlenn GA Club, Ooh. Uh, which features prominently, as you can imagine, uh, friend of the show, Oshin McConville. It actually looks really, really good, um, kind of charting the history of uh, Cross McLean, as well as some, uh, you know, behind-the-scenes dressing room type action, which I know we all love. Um, so that's at 9 o'clock uh, tonight, BBC One, Northern Ireland. And you, for once, Lon, you'll be glad of a change to the regular scheduling of uh, English BBC One. So there's BBC <laughs> One Northern Ireland giving you what you want, on. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thank, Thank you, you Thank Thanks you. for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Second Captains. It being, you know, their birthday and all. Take care. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 